Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cast Strength Pod or on Twitter at Cast Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Welcome back to Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, a very special edition of Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast. It's the Christmas special. We could have had a wee jingle there. Might add one in. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, I'm joined by the usual suspect. Ronan, how are you doing? It's been a while. Uh, yeah, it's been quite a long time. I think work commitments and everything have got the better of us at this time of year and uh what better way to come back than do a very non-festive um, Christmas special? Are you not feeling too festive? I'm as, as festive as I can sound. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty festive. We have been away for a while. Our last podcast release was on the 10th of November. It was the interview with Dr. Rob Arnold. Mm. I thought it went pretty well, to be honest. It was great speaking to Rob Arnold. Uh, I'd read his book. Um, I don't know if you listened to it. I would hope you do. Uh, oh, I did. It was v- actually very interesting. Um, I find it very difficult to listen back to myself or, well, uh, back to myself on a podcast. So it was it was quite good to listen to a podcast with you that didn't include my own droning voice. So, yeah, no, it was very enjoyable. Don't be so harsh on yourself. It's Christmas. The podcast before that was with quite a Christmassy dram, um, the Gonfarkless 15-year-old. We must make our apologies for that podcast. The sound quality was terrible. Um, Yeah, I I think that was mostly my fault. Uh, I do accept the blame for that one. Um, I apologise. I know a good few people are, well, on Instagram, a few people messaged saying, uh, they bear with it and they thought it was quite good so that's good news uh, the reason the, they were the, messaging the content was good the content, content was good Yeah, the we, sound, we, sound quality was poor yeah we debuted Maltbusters the greatest whiskey game show and uh, the <laughs> it's, it's got a lot of rivals I, uh, I don't know any I don't know any better but also on that podcast the Glenn Fartless. It was uh, our 12th uh, edition of the normal podcast, not the Cast Strength version. Uh, so we debuted Maltbusters for those that maybe didn't listen. This was a kind of cryptic uh, clue to a distillery name mm-hmm. uh, which we asked our listeners to uh, send in their answers to uh, Instagram, which many of them did. Uh, so I'll run through what the cryptic clues were. And I'll then reveal the winner because there is a winner. Um, Excellent. I'm sure they'll be listening. Um, but uh, I'll run through. So, number one was Ooh, Malt Busters. A pirate welcomes the host of The Weakest Link. Did you get that one, Ronan? No, I didn't actually. That, that was, was pretty useless at these. That was Aaron. So, a pirate welcomes the host. Of the weakest link are Anne and Robinson, yeah, yeah, and are well, actually. I don't, I, is she still the host of the weakest link? Well, that's that's why at the, the, the end of that clue in the last podcast I said, which 
the last time I watched the week is like, oh yeah, uh, this, <laughs> this was the host, and it was yeah, Anne Robinson. So that was Aaron. Uh, number two was two point five four centimeters. Which area do you wish me to travel to? And that's a question at the end. If you can't tell by my tone, and two point five four centimeters. Do you, do, you, do you have a guess, Ronan? Before I reveal the answer. No, just reveal the answer. It is well, so 2.54 centimeters is an inch. And which area do you wish me to travel to? You'd say go where? So it's uh inch go where, inch gower distillery. Wow. <laughs> and uh, well, 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 well done to anyone that got that. Oh, there was. There was a good few. There was a good few. Uh, I thought that one was when once you got the 2.54 centimeters, once you went from uh there's not many in there's not many inch distilleries. No, no. So what, what centimeters is is metric and inch is uh imperial. I don't even know if that's what you call it, is it? Different different measurements of length. Um, I don't think see anyone that was born in the system that we have now that we use then why would you know what the name from the one that you don't use is? That's my viewpoint of it. Only people that live through both have a clue what the fuck's going on there. Well, everybody's height, is, well, in the UK at least, is measured in inches, feet and inches, is it not? No, I just presumed it was centimetres. I don't know. Who, who, who Six foot, does? five foot five, that's all. Uh, anyone that says those sort of numbers are just guessing. Right. Okay, and on to number three which the clue was a Scottish valley with Frodo's fellowship and the Argentinian Marxist revolutionary of Cuba. So a Scottish valley is Glen. Frodo's fellowship is um, his kin. And the Argentinian Marxist revolutionary of Cuba is a very famous man. I'd be surprised if you didn't hear of him. Shea, yeah. Shea Guevara. So that's Glenn Ken Shea. I would lie to you. The Shea bit is the only bit I got. And I was <laughs> I was trying to think what Scottish distillery has got Guevara at the end, and I couldn't think of any. Oh, no, no. I, I'm just going by what I, I referred to. Uh, I referred to him as Shea. Shea. Uh, first as first name friends. And uh, the winner of that was, well, thanks to everybody who sent us a message on Instagram. There was some cracking wrong answers. Uh, but the quickest correct three answers goes to the lazy Scotsman on Instagram. So well done to him. Uh, we'll awesome. give him a wee round of applause. Not so lazy with his answers. No, no, he was the quickest and he was correct. Well done, uh, you win nothing. Well, I, I'm pretty sure you offered him a chance to come on the show. I'm pretty sure right. surprised. You win less than nothing. Uh, so we could go through this podcast's uh, cryptic clues, or maltbusters, as I like to call them, or we could leave that till later on in the show. I will leave that till later on in the show, till we've got nothing left to talk about. Okay. Okay. Um, before we move on, let's... Talk about beer. What beer are we drinking for this Christmas special? I feel that like you've maybe got more interesting ones, but I've I've went down to my local co-op and Your local uh, cooperative bought a range of different beers. The one I am opening currently, if you can hear that, is mm. a Leffe Blonde, classic light beer, 
Belgian, I would put my house on it being Belgian or French. To offend no one that listens, um, is there a difference? Uh, it, is Bel- it is Belgian beer. It is Belgian. It is Belgian. Yeah, it is Belgian. Yeah. For, so- for somebody who's got a master's in still, I know very little about beer apart from that tastes nice. Uh, um, uh, yeah. It does you, taste nice. It does. If you if you can't buy from a, a local independent retailer, buying from your local cooperative is probably the best way to go. Yeah. What have you got? Um, I actually, uh, I bought four beers from my local independent retailer, but knowing that you were buying Leffe, I actually also bought a Leffe, but a different type. I bought their, their winter beer. Lovely. What is it? Kind of dark grains, I would guess. Yes, slightly darker. It's got a, a little note of sort of a red, a red ale to it. Um, I wouldn't say it's full red ale, but it's a little, little bit more of that sort of. Lovely. I love a red ale. Yeah. No, I think we've said before, if you walk into a pub and there's a red ale on draft from the keg, it it doesn't really matter what you drink. You sort of have to go for it because it lasts about a day in that pub because I think everybody has the same thought. Uh, If any of our listeners are in the south of Ireland or have travelled to the south of Ireland, and we've mentioned this before, I know we have, Mm. uh, but Smithwick's red ale on draft. Brilliant. Take me back there. We'd love it. for anyone that lives in Glasgow and is always wondering where they can get a red ale on draft if they don't have anywhere local, uh, the Bon Accord usually has a red ale on maybe like once a month, and I swear it lasts about two days, and then it's gone. If you're listening to this, you're probably into whiskey as well, and the Bon Accord also has lots and lots of whiskeys. It's probably, probably I, I would say it's the best whiskey bar in, in Glasgow, or oh, potentially Scotland. Uh, from what I've visited, but obviously in Glasgow you've got the pot still, which gives it a good run for its money, um, if not tied at the top, probably. Yeah, I, I would say it's probably a podcast in itself and what's great about them, but I don't know. For me, the Bon Accord sort of stands out because it's more my sort of place. It's well, Not that the pot still or any other whiskey bar in Glasgow isn't welcoming, but, but I think that it, it does good food, it does good beer. It's got a great selection of whiskies. It's sports. It's a pub. It's like a neighbourhood bar. I think the the, uh, the it's not just a whiskey bar. It's, it's got other things. I uh, think it hit, it hits everything really really well. The Bon Accord. Um, if you go to the pot still, you're getting a whiskey. And I know the great selection of whiskies uh, and their their pies that they do in their little oven are quite nice. And they have they, they have good beers as well. But like. It doesn't have the other things. Or if you go to like the gate down in the Gallagate, it's a great whiskey bar, does great cocktails, but it's also like a different sort of style of whiskey bar. So it's a different, the, the, different vibe, man. It's a, it's a different vibe, man. Uh, and you only get good vibes in the Bon Accord. That's it. That's, uh, that's what I would say. We'll, we'll go on to the whiskey in a, in a second. Um, have you had any kind of, this isn't the whiskey news anyway, which was, also stolen by another podcast if I haven't mentioned that. Um, but have you got any whiskey related stories recently? Have you been drunk any good whiskeys, got any good bottles, visited any distilleries? Um I haven't visited any distilleries recently, actually. Uh, actually, no, I I don't think so. The answer is no. Um, right. what about yourself? What about yourself? Well, well, funny you asked. Uh Last Saturday, uh, a former colleague um, and myself, we went to 
two whiskey distilleries. Uh, we went to Ardnohoe Distillery, um, mm-hmm. which we have mentioned on the podcast before, I think. We haven't reviewed anything. Obviously, they've just turned... Their first spirit, sorry, has just turned three years old. They had a kind of ceremony at 12 midnight. Mm-hmm. I think it was a few weeks ago now. Um, but we visited them and... Yeah, what a, what a really great kind of modern but also traditional distillery. I know every distillery is like tradition with a modern twist and all that, you know, all that kind of nonsense. Yeah. But yeah, what what a really, really nice distillery. Um, beautiful stills. A great old bobby mill that they got from Fetter Cairn Distillery. A uh, real bit of history. A, a lot of distilleries, the mills, the piece of equipment that's just lasted over 100 years and when distilleries upgrade to maybe a new kind of mill or a bigger mill they're left with this bit of equipment that works unbelievably well but maybe just doesn't have the capacity that it needs and mm-hmm. luckily these bits of equipment are being sold secondhand but still in immaculate condition to new distilleries that are opening up and Arnohoe Distillery has Fetter Cairns old uh, Bobby Mill and they said it was the only bit of second-hand equipment they've got in the distillery but no wonder these mills are just they're great to look at you've obviously got Porteous Mills and a lot of distilleries that have just been there for like over a hundred years um, fantastic and they're, they're fairly unbreakable as well uh, these sort of pieces of machinery they're, they're, I look, you talk about Porteous pattern malt mills and stuff like they've been they've been there for so long. They work so well. They're so well made that they might throw it out for a, a new fancier piece of machinery, but it'll still do the job as well. Definitely with these with these old mills, I think you just need to change the belts on them. The belts wear out. Then I think the rollers need changed once in a while. But the actual mechanics of the mm. of the mill, apart from whatever a yearly service or something, they'll, they'll genuinely last forever. Um, I mean, of they course, don't make them like them anymore. No, definitely not. Good, was it British steel? The British steel in there. Don't break well, down. The, the, the famous thing about Porteous is that they made their mills yeah, so get... good, nobody needed replacements, and they went out yeah. of business. Um, it's every distillery that's got a Porteous mill. If you go on the tour, they'll tell you that, and it's it's because it's hundred percent true. <laughs> they're, they're, Working artifacts. Um, after after I visited Ardenhoe, I, actually, I must mention the cakes at Ardenhoe are brilliant, fantastic. You sit down in the cafe, you look across the Sound of Isla towards Jura, you can see the paps of Jura, and you can just have a fantastic bit of cake. It is an enjoyable experience. After your tour, they allow you, they allow you to taste the new make. Obviously, Ardenhoe is owned by... Hunter or Douglas Lang, whatever one of them. It's Hunter Lang. Is it? So the, the, their yeah. shop is really good, but they just don't have any of Ardenhoe. Maybe in time they will. I think the tour guide said they weren't rushing it. Obviously, they've got money in the background, so they don't have to release a three-year-old or whatever. Uh, but yeah, great distillery, great view. Yeah, just all around good experience. We then hightailed it across the island to... Just before, just before you move on there. If any if any of our listeners are interested in buying casks, I I, I don't work for Ardenhoe, but they, they are one of the distilleries as well that are still selling casks privately as well, especially for stuff that hasn't been re- like a new distillery selling private casks. You can still they do sort of batch releases of them that they decide that they want to sell 
200 or whatever, I don't know the number, but they still they do it. So if anyone is interested in investing in a cask, Ardenhoe's a distillery that maybe to look at. I think they're really expensive from what I've heard as well. I, I think they're actually like... Yeah, I would... Twelve grand really, for a barrel of new make or something. I think that's yeah. like really, really expensive. Ah, yes, um, ridiculous. Definitely, definitely don't think it falls within the investment bracket, but enjoyment bracket. It, it is what it is. You're going to get. Well, they need to pay for all that. Uh, they need to pay for all that new equipment they got. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. And uh, going by the groundwork's happening next to Arden Hold Distillery, they're throwing up some new warehouses as well. Uh, that's what the tour guide said. After Arnehoe, we hightailed it across the island to Cohoman Distillery. Again, Cohoman slightly different. They do have a small floor mountain. They have all their warehousing on site. Uh, it's on a farm, uh, and they also do all their own bottling. So a bit of a contrast. They're a distillery mm-hmm. that do... They don't do everything on site because of the amount of whiskey or spirit they make now. They have to buy malted barley in. Um, their floor, they don't have one floor malt, and it's not like Springbank where you can do, I think, like 12 tonne on the top floor and 10 tonne mm-hmm. on the bottom floor. I think it's like a, I want to say like maybe around a 10 or a 14 tonne single floor. It doesn't do them the whole year, but... It also means that at Cohoman Distillery, I think they, the tour guide said they employ like over 40 people um, mm. between the kind of distillery, the, the visitor centre, which again is great, great cafe, uh, great food. I was just eating at every distillery I go to. Um, and yeah, just, just a brilliant tour. Um, good drams. You get your wee snifter glass. You get one of those wee lanyards that holds your glass in place, uh, which... I took straight off because I've, n- I've never really fancied being that type of person who puts it around their neck and carries about a drum. Mm. But yeah, I, I get to turn to two tours. I thoroughly, thoroughly yeah. recommend. Yeah, Go Home's a great dram as well. I'm surprised we've not actually done it. I no, it's, it is really like, good. It's like, like even- I, I, I really like Go Home. And obviously, if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know I'm probably not the biggest peated whiskey fan, but like Go Home, and I think is a, an absolute cracking drum. It's a bit of a different kind of smoke, and especially when they first released a Macker Bay, it was on the younger side, probably still is, but I think it was like between three and five. Mm. Cracking dram, cracking mm. dram. And I, I guess just with keeping everything on site or the majority of things on site, you just have a really close control over every aspect of quality. And Absolutely. That makes a difference, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners agree with with that is you see distilleries outsourcing everything and everything. I mean, you can still make fantastic spirit by outsourcing and stuff, but usually from these distilleries that keep everything on site uh, and that leads to improved quality and taste and also just employs loads of people and distilleries are typically in remote rural places where, especially nowadays, jobs are uh, at a premium, uh, but... Yeah, it employs a lot of people on the local island, which is good. A lot of young people as well, and like bottling halls and all that. That might be, that might be some people's first step into the whiskey industry, and then from there they can maybe go on to be trained to be a distiller or trained to get all their kind of licenses, forklift, and all that. And that just 
that sends them on a kind of decent enough training to move on to whatever they want to do. Yeah, it's a very good point. And one I think we've expressed throughout all the podcasts that we've done, that we appreciate the drams from these distilleries that go that extra mile, we think. I've just opened my second beer. We're not long in. No, I know. The... Uh, but this is a good segue because the whiskey we're going to try, I'll let you introduce it because it's your whiskey and I'm just, uh, thankful to you for sending me over a hefty sample. I thought I'd get like a 50 mil. I think you sent over a 200 mil bottle. So, uh, to, to, to be honest, it was the only empty sample bottle that I had in the house. Um, ah, you, that's fine. I mean, so I th- but then I thought I might as well just fill it up. Uh, it's Christmas after all. Um, so what we're trying today is the the softer side of the Highlands. It's a Tomatin, 2008. It's 12 years old. They've called it the French Collection, which is obviously quite funny. Oh, like the French Connection. Like the French Connection, but the French no, Collection. I, I never clicked. Um, no, but I think it, it states that this is one of three um, bottlings so there's another two bottlings which are in different French cask types, and that's the, the general series that they've done. So age 12 years old, 46%. It's non-chill filtered, no added colour. And we are we are trying, and I will butcher the name, right. Rivi Saltes casks. Yeah, I was hoping you knew. Uh, River Salts, River Saltes. I'd say River Salts. River Salts, yeah. Um, a wine that comes from the deep southeast of France, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping you'd know a wee bit more about the wine than myself, but uh, it's a it's traditionally well, it is a sweet wine. So similar um, to like a Sauternes from Bordeaux, or pass pass on that one. That a sweet yeah. wine is uh, yeah, like a sweet dessert wine, I would guess. Yeah, that's what I would put this as a sweet dessert wine, a sweet sweet wine. So is it full maturation in the wine barriques? From the from the bottle in front of me, I would say that it doesn't say. I would suggest that it's not. I would suggest that it's probably a finish. You have the box in front of you. So maybe yeah, you were we're... kind enough to send me the box. So, yeah, so it was distilled in 2008. It was, uh, I actually read on the box, traditional, it was matured in traditional Scotch oak casks, which means, like, probably refill bourbon or something like that. <laughs> that's not quite as glamorous as you would put on a bottle uh, and then July 2017 it was moved to the wine casks and then it was bottled on the 29th of March this year 2021 so you're talking 12 nearly 13 and a proper proper finish in a wine cask not just your four months and filled with colour it was it was had nearly nearly four years in in a in the wine cast so you're kind of expecting a lot of lovely wine notes to come through but this is obviously a bit different from your typical french red wine uh cast this is a, a sweet dessert wine and um, so yeah i'm really, really excited to try this one well so the the name Rosaltes, or however you pronounce it, um, we, we may need not to start knowing how to pronounce things. Like yeah. everything, could... everything that's slightly hard, we're just like, let's just butcher it, and then we don't even do it with confidence. 
we actually say this is butchered. We've right. not we've not looked this up. We could have looked it up, but we just decided not. Uh, so it's so it's the Lalandach uh Brazilian wine region, which is as you said, sort of southeast. Um within that wine region, um the, what we are tasting, the sort of traditional flavours that you're probably going to pick up that I would suggest having previously tried other tomatins complement it quite well. So with this wine finish, what you're looking to start picking up is a little bit of sort of like dried fruits, nuts, your chocolates, your caramels, your brown sugars, a little bit sort of dark molasses, treacle. Um, those are actually the same thing. Dark molasses, treacle, same thing. Um, so yeah, these cherries and honey, a lot of these things, when you think tomatin is described as the softer, or they describe themselves as the softer side of the highlands, these are sort of flavours that you would think that you would get. So before even nosing or tasting, you would think that the traditional tomatin flavours that you would get and what this wine is described as their flavour profile, if you, you start to think they're going to work really well, which is what you want in a finish. You, you want them to combine and work really well together. I'm sure you've tried and I've tried and everybody else has tried some finishes that don't don't work well together <laughs> and they're sort of, the two flavour profiles are fighting against each other and it doesn't work. Yeah, so the softer side of the Highlands isn't just some random bullshit you made up two seconds ago that actually comes from tomato. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah, that's, I've not just came up with that. I thought you were just saying... The, no, soft, it, the softer it, side of the Highlands. Like if, I'd, if I had come up with visit, that just, uh, visit Scotland promo or something like that. No, it's if actually... I'd just, if I'd have just come up with that, I'd have been selling it to Tomatin long ago. <laughs> well, you only come up with it two minutes ago, so... But you would have been straight onto the email. Look, <laughs> I've got a tagline for you. Every... Hard the bus. I'm going to sell this idea to Tomatin. Uh, the only other thing I'd add about this bottle before we could maybe get on to some tasting notes is it's, it is a limited release. It is, I think it's 6,000 bottles worldwide. So, I mean, it's not the smallest, but it's probably sold out now. I don't know. Uh, uh, I'm not sure where you got it. Um, I acquired it off of a man who works for Tibetan. So, so you, you that, well, that sounds like you bought it from like, a tomatin employee. You could say traded. Traded? Oh, well, that's completely fine. I thought you were going to say uh, stolen. A bit, no, a bit of good old-fashioned bartering was hard. Oh, that's fine. And I, and I acquired this. I tell you, I done him rotten. Did you? He, oh, I. He, get, he gets old an absolute stinker. Oh, I got a dead rubber or something. Uh, damp squib. You sold them snake I oil, and he sold had you the softer side of the Highlands. <laughs> exactly. What are you thinking on the nose there? So, it is, <laughs> this will sound daft and probably falling into marketing sort of side of things, but it is quite fruity, but bit delicate, it's got a lot of floralness on the nose, a bit of sort of buttery sort of oakiness and then it's got a little bit of cinnamon and sort of raisins and plums and stuff which you'll be getting from the, the finish but it, it is quite delicate and sort of 
none of it is overpowering. None of it is, good gosh, this flavour really stands out for me. I, I find it is just actually quite well together and on the nose, especially. It's a little bit of apple pie, sort of barley, spice, brown sugar, a little bit of glazed cherries on there as well. But really enjoyable. Just every taste of note under the sun. I tell you, know, I've got a certain. I've got a certain well, you've got, got a much more developed palate, so you can pick out all these things. Um, the first thing I'm getting. I'm not even the palate yet. That's that's just the old napper. Oh, aye, the nose. Oh. Maybe that's something else we could coin. We could call you the nose. Has that been the done old, before? The old Richard Patterson. No idea who you're on about. Um, was he not? Was he not described as the nose? I supposedly his nose is insured for a million pound. It might be, but just imagine being that. Imagine being a wee insurance broker sitting in your office, smacking me in a keyboard, minimum wage. Richard Patterson walks in. I'd like to insure this bad boy. He's like, who the fuck are you? Somebody else said he could smoke a cigar in a hailstorm. What? On the notes for me, you can get... I'm getting kind of more kind of sweet and a caramel, almost like digestive biscuits. You're getting that softer side of the Highland. Like you can't deny that you are. It's, you're getting that grassiness that you would get from a kind of Highlands. But I'm getting, I'm getting that nuttiness, that macadamia nut. Uh, and also the fruitiness. It's more a kind of orange spray. It's not quite a juicy orange or, a, or we've described kind of blood oranges or whatever. It's not quite juicy. It's kind of just a delicate orange, uh, orange scented. A bit of orange zest. Like just a wee... Oh, yeah, maybe a bit of kind of, yeah, like like with unintentional orange zest when you've like peeled an orange or something. There's a cracker. Unintentional or, orange zest. It's or, accidentally been thrown into the, the ingredients. Or like, do you know, like an, an orange flavoured air freshener? That somebody's oh, just yeah. sprayed for a second over the other side of the room and it's just wafted your way. Because of an ill-placed fan. Because of a soft Highland <laughs> breeze. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, basically just a wee bit of orange. That's what I'm thinking. Just a, just a ah, touch of orange. Um, Aye. But yeah, it's actually, it's, it's quite, it's quite nutty actually. Like, I know that's what we're expecting. Yeah, and just yeah, kind of digestive biscuits, which I kind of think falls under the kind of malty flavor, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, actually, really, really all right. And the nose it isn't it isn't punchy; it is the softer side. Um, but it definitely isn't a, a massive. It's um, not weak. I think that's probably something when we're saying the softer side. Although they describe themselves as the softer side of the Highlands, when we are saying yeah, we probably agree with that. It's not in a, a weak sense it is it's, it's I don't, I know, it's difficult to describe i guess it's um which is probably not good for a podcast definitely it is, it is sort of soft and palatable and or bearing and like it's, there's a lot of flavors there as well um but not weak it doesn't smell of nothing it has mm. got a strong flavor but of many different lovely delicate touches yeah, it is delicate, but it's definitely complex. Um, any whiskey news at all? Or right, over to Ronan with the whiskey news. 
Um, as, as we're in the whiskey news, I cracked open my second beer. It is the Kernel, the export India Porter. That's in um, the kind of brown paper bag looking. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, I've had that. Classic, classic brown bottle, um, little sort of papery label around it. Um, and generally, any of the beers I try from the Kernel uh, are generally quite good. Um, and this one is absolutely delightful. Which before we start getting right onto the whiskey news, I've got a question for you. Okay. Now that we're in now that we're in the festive period, yep. and Saint Nick is nearly at our chimneys, do your drinking habits change? Is the the your drink of choice at this time of the year different from the rest of the year? Do you start delving into slightly different beers, spirits, wines? That you might not usually drink. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of just want to say, probably, probably not. Um, and I'll obviously expand on that. Uh, and I'll give you uh, the obvious evidence. I went to the shop to pick up some beer today, and I looked around, and I went, you know what? I quite fancy a night drinking light beers. Mm-hmm. I love a red ale. I love a dark beer. I love a pint of Guinness. I love, I love sour beers as well. But I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not getting in, in them in the co-op. But no, I just went tonight. You know, I just fancy light beers. Whiskey wise, again, probably, probably not. Probably yeah. not. Um, I'm last night. I had a dram. Just the, just the one. I was just watching the telly. Um, Tonight I'll maybe have a couple. Um, after this, um, tomato. Does it change? No, I, I, I typically, I, like, if you think what drinks would you more likely drink at Christmas time? It'd be like warmer, smokier drams or red wine. I, I like red wine any time of the year. I recent the most recent wine I drank was actually a white wine. I'm not the biggest white wine fan, and uh, um, you would usually associate that with maybe summertime. Yeah, I think I think you me. would. I think you would. So I mean, I, I, so basically, my last wine I drank was a white wine, which is definitely not well. I mean, not as much associated with winter. Um, the last whiskey I drank last night was uh, unpeated Speyside, uh, and the current beer that I'm drinking is light blonde uh, beer. So I think that's totally different to what you would kind of assume at Christmas um, when it actually gets right into the Christmas period I'll maybe drink a few cocktails but that's no different from other points in the year any, any other time uh, so really what I'm going to say is no um, do you think your drinking habits change or drinks uh, of choice no actually I'm a huge fan of porters and stouts all year round that's what I like I'm not a big fan of sours, sour beers like you. Um, I drink, I don't drink peated whiskies anyway, so I wouldn't have that sort of way. I do like drinking more white wine in the summer than I do drinking red wine, but red wine rather. Um, but no, I don't think they do. Do I go to the pub more during the festive period? Probably. But I am a yearly pub drinker. I go all year. I'm not, just, I'm not just a festive pub drinker or a Six Nations pub drinker clogging up our pubs. But yeah. Aye. Taking your seat. Ah, Jason coming in, 
not knowing the rules, the drinking. traditions of the... Well, nah, you drink one, but... Buying buy, beers buy, at the bar. With our notes. There is a certain etiquette around pubs that this time of the year, non-pub goers have a real hard time understanding. If you walked into your local boozer and they were serving you up some um, eggnog, would you buy it are from talk, Are we talking a free glass of eggnog to welcome you in the door because you're a regular customer? Uh, absolutely, that'd be getting wrong. No bother. Five pound eggnog, half a cheaper shot, than, half a shot than, or whatever. <laughs> cheaper what? than a pint, cheaper than a pint where I live. So uh, I'll take a glass of that. No bother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I suppose, I suppose in winter, no, I don't think. I don't think, like, do I drink sherry or port or what's the traditional Christmas drink, you know what I mean? Oh, I love you the glass get... of Bailey's with a little bit of ice. Yeah, well, to be honest, do you know what's really nice, actually, and this is going well off topic? Aaron Gold do a version of a kind of oh, yeah. Bailey's version. Aaron Distillery do a kind of version of Bailey's, and it's called Aaron Gold, and it's actually really good. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. What are they about Christmas? Absolutely no bother. Yeah. But if somebody's saying, do you want a, like, a glass of Bucks Fizz or do you want a... Do you want a, just a, a, a beer, any beer I'd take probably. I would drink most beers as long as it's not Bud or Miller. Um, shout out to all the Bud and Miller drinkers, but no, I don't, I don't think there's going to be any Bud drinkers listening to this. Um, but yeah, I think I, th- I don't think they do change. Uh, do have, Would you think people's drinking habits would change? Presumably they do. I presume people probably go to the, the pub more. They might start... Tapping into maybe as you were saying your warmer drinks, maybe drink more red wine than they usually do, maybe more darker beers. I think that's probably a natural thing to do. You have you do have a feeling that it is more warming. People go to the, the pub more regularly, and the hope is that they do, uh, especially right now. As, yeah. as long as you're healthy and being safe and following all guidelines, go to the pub. Um, they need it. Anyway, we won't get into that. Um yeah. Whiskey news. One thing about whiskey, I guess, is you have a lot of uh, kind of maybe casual to non-whiskey drinkers will take a dram at Christmas and New Year, of course they will. Uh, I think that's where you see the biggest change. Uh, And also a lot of non-wine drinkers would drink wine at Christmas dinner just because it's the polite thing to do. At least try a small glass and then go back to their normal drink. Um, I'm saying that through experience. Over to Ronan with the Whiskey News. Yes, so the Whiskey News. Um, I, I, I'm never one to quickly praise the UK government. Um, far from it. They've just uh, agreed a trade deal this afternoon with Australia, our criminal cousins. And uh, it is reducing and taking away any tariffs there is on Scotch whisky and Scottish gin. There used to be a 5% tax on it. It is now nil poix, which is good news for um, Scotch whiskey drinkers in Australia, I guess. And is that that going both ways? Does that mean Australian whiskey can be imported zero tariff? You presume so? I would presume so. I presume it's a trade-off in that side of things. Good, Um, because... Typically, Australian whiskey, I know it's got to travel around the world, and probably Australians saying the same about Scottish whiskey, but Australian whiskey is usually 
typically quite hard to find. And I know a lot of the distilleries are smaller scale. I think it's also that bit more expensive. Archie Rose, is that their biggest one? It's definitely the one I've heard of. So Archie Rose is the distillery. It's Archie Rose, in my opinion, and shout out to my mate Dom, who's just moved over there. Uh, I think he flies out on like maybe today, to be honest, and he's going to start being the distiller at Archie Rose. Great guy. Uh, Archie Rose is probably the leading uh, new product development distillery in terms of different types of grain um, or mixed mash bills and also different uh, roastedness, which isn't the right term, but different types of barley in terms of kind of chocolate malt, crystal malt, uh, caramel and all that. I'd say they're mm. leading they are leading the line and um, really using different kinds of malt with barley uh, to just increase flavor. Uh, they won they won like World Distillery of the Year. Uh, I would argue they're the they're, they're leading leading the way for what distilleries can do to increase flavor. Especially on a smaller scale, you I mean you, Hollywood Distillery are doing a bit of it uh, in Edinburgh, and then you've also got Westland Distillery in America, which are doing mixed mash bills as well, single malt whiskies. Uh, but yeah, Archie Rose. I've not, I've never seen a bottle of Archie Rose in the UK though. No, I don't. No, I don't think so. I don't think I've seen it either. Um, only through a work trip to to Australia did I see uh, Archie Rose. Um, but the people that I spoke to about Archie Rose, they said very similar things to what you just said um, and how it is sort of pushing the boundaries. Uh, other whiskey news is there is another distillery about to be built. Um, it is the Carabrac Trust have secured a multi-million pound investment to begin building their Scotch whiskey distillery in Moray. Uh, the construction should start in February 2022. So the Carabrac area is in the southern edge of my um, which is they claim as much as probably a lot of other places claim um, to be the birthplace of the Scotch whisky industry. Um, obviously, famed for its illicit stills and smuggling. Um, so yes, so another distillery in twenty twenty two. Great, and is, is this the distillery that's going to also have malting and bottling on site? Is that? Is that uh, I believe so. Is this, is this a distillery that is partly funded by Bimber in some way? Were we not speaking about? No, I think that's, I think, actually, I think that's a completely different distillery. I think right. Bimber, they're looking to build their own distillery. Um, and news that would be right up our street to do with Cabrach, it's said to be more, it's said to used to house more than a thousand residents of the area and many rebellious Jacobites, illicit distillers and smugglers. So this is probably a distillery that we can get behind. Definitely. Although probably the first illicit distillations happened in the kind of southwest coast of Scotland, being in Kintyre or in the island well, or whatever. But this is why I said that other places could probably claim that they started the Scotch whisky industry. I, Again, I, harping back to a previous podcast where you told the story about the Irish moving across and Distilling on Isla, I believe, at the time, and, and, and then probably. Okay, we'll, ne- we'll, we'll never know. The things, 
the thing about illicit anything is they didn't keep records because it was uh, proof that they were doing something illegal. Um, but any distillery that is new and has a wee tale about illicit distillers and smugglers and all that, it's a tale as old as time, but it's a tale I just love. Like There's a romance about the illicit distillery. If you can tie it back to we John Smith that was illicit distilling there and got done by the the crown two hepneys or whatever then great great we linkage back uh, to the past and every distillery has to have it every distillery has to have uh, the some solid uh, like Lindor's Abbey that's a solid link to the past some distilleries a wee bit more tenuous yeah. yeah it's a it's a thread love to see it uh, it's a thread to the past, but you know, it gets me every time. <laughs> Full on me, basically. Uh, well, do you want to go through the palette of this? Unless you've got more whiskey news. No, that's it for whiskey news. That was quite good. Wh- whiskey news. Yeah. Um, so, on the palette for the tomato, um, again, start picking up a little bit of heather, cinnamon, um, I've actually noted down sort of allspice, pineapple. There's quite a lot of this I could probably put down to being coated in some form of sugar or sort of cinnamon or sort of nutmeg. Like all of these things are coated in those sort of flavours, butterscotch, toffee, apples, plums. What you were saying for the nose, digestive, biscoff, a little bit of hazelnut, sort of Nutella-esque sort of note in there as well. Um, just coated in cinnamon, nutmeg, a little bit of ginger shaving in there as well. Um, I actually really enjoyed this palette. I thought it was absolutely delicious. Um, yeah, what about yourself? Very Christmassy, your uh, palette uh, description sounds, which is fitting to this Christmas edition of Cast Strength the Whiskey Podcast. Ho, ho, ho. I do agree with what you're saying about the sweetness. It's a lovely barley uh, sweetness coming off that barley sugar. Is a slight bitterness coming in the rear of the palate. Orange peel, I would think. I'm getting that still kind of orange zestiness. And then I've put, I've written down here, as you were speaking, sugar-coated hazelnut. Mm-hmm. It's a very sweet, nutty flavour, uh, which is very enjoyable. Um, it was very kinder bueno-ish for me. Yeah, I mean... Like, it was right up that street. Yeah, right. kinder bueno a little bit of chocolate, a little bit of hazelnut, that nice sort of nougat sort of flavour in there as well. Um, you, yeah. threw, you threw in there Biscoff as well, which is one of these uh, 21st century or 2020-2021 kind of biscuits that have came into fashion, and I have resisted it, but Biscoff creams, they're, they're pretty new. It's like a custard cream, but it's like Biscoff now. Biscoff is a biscuit, <laughs> and uh, that did... I think- that dipped in a cup of tea. Holy mm. moly. Right up there. I, yeah, I think I think you actually get Biscoff as like a spread, though. Like you can yep, like, I think you do. Yeah, huh? That's probably what I'm thinking of. I, I, I've never really delved into Biscoff um, biscuits. Biscoff biscuits are like the wee biscuit. If you, I, I mind, I mind, I'm pretty sure years ago, if you got Is like, it like a, a wee, a wee oh, if you got like a uh, cappuccino, they would give you a wee coffee biscuit beside it. It's the coffee biscuit. Biscoff ah, it's the coffee the biscuit. Aye. Yeah. Now it's developed into 
um, fully fledged, uh, like influencer and uh, I don't know what you call them. Fuck well, boys, biscuit, basically. Well, okay, I was going to stick with that's why we that's why we know what they are, seeing how influencers. But they've just um, well, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like it's a fashionable biscuit. It's like a fashionable biscuit. It's like um, smoothies. You know what I mean? They're just fashionable now. Back smoothies, are, smoothies are absolutely terrible for you as well. Don't don't drink smoothies. That's not good for you. No, no. So your palate. What else were you getting on your palate? So I butted in there. Uh, no, well, I think that was about it, to be honest. I don't, uh, like, it was that kind of lovely. Can, you're getting lots of barley uh, sweetness from it, and you're getting a nuttiness. It's kind of hazelnut, it's macadamia nuts, sugar coated, and then a lovely bit of orange zestiness. Uh, but but I am saying that it's not a, a bad tasting note, but I am saying there was a bit of bitterness in that. Uh, maybe that could be coming, um, coming from the, the kind of coffee, Biscoff uh, kind of flavor, that kind of bitter coffee. Um, mm. but yeah, no, definitely enjoyable. But do you want to speak a wee bit about the distillery? Yeah, can do if we're going to delve into that side of things. Um, so yeah. the distillery, Tamantin, founded in 1897, uh, is a rough capacity of around five million litres a year. I would presume, knowing people from Tamantin, well, people from the distillery in Tamantin, and the sort of mindset that they have and everything that they probably don't produce five million litres a year that is just the capacity they started in 1897 it was originally founded by the tomato and spade the stylish company um, production didn't last long it eventually closed and then it was taken over and started again as the tomato distillers um, the distillery size was increased through sort of 1956 and then 1958 and then in 1961, so eventually they reached up to 10 stills. Um, and then in 1974, the distillery actually closed. It was only in 1986, which to Martin probably becomes more recognisable today. So in 1986, it was taken over by the, and I apologise for the pronunciations as usual, the Takara Shuzu Co and Okara and Co, they buy to Martin. Is that uh, that's Japanese sounding? Is it? It is, uh, it is very Japanese sounding. Um, as it's a Japanese company. As it's a Japanese company. No. no. So they buy that in 1986, uh, and they buy that through known as the Tomato Distillers Company or Tomato Distillery Co. Uh, in 1998, the the Okara and Co. part of the the purchase is liquidated, and Maru Benny buys out part of their shareholding um, and that was in 1998 and from there Tomatin has went on and um, released different ranges has become more and more popular they've changed from being a distillery that mostly supplied blends and started to release single malts uh, established quite quite a well known I'd say single malt range they also acquired during that time antiquity uh, blend, which is a phenomenal blend. Um, if if you can get your hands on a dram of that or a bottle of that, I would urge you to because I think it's an absolutely brilliant blend. Uh, and then they recently sort of they launched and then they recently relaunched their Kubokin range, which has got the sort of Donny Donny Darko sort of rabbity sort of figure on the front. Um, that's what I always associated it with, um, and that's the the peated. Tomatin, 
and they've recently just started releasing that. So Distillery's history, um, yeah, really, really in the recent 20-ish years, they've really come into being the distillery that they are. Uh, a, a, fond, a very fond friend at Tomatin. Um, he's a good guy and the, the whiskey that he supplies me is usually really, really good. I'm always impressed with Tomatin. Um, and yeah, I'm impressed with this dram as well. Hey, it's been one of those drams that I've had several over the years and it's always just been, yeah, not quite good. Uh, I think one time you had a 30-year-old Tomatin that you maybe gave me a sample of, and that was exceptional. But, but yeah, a lot of the drums that I've tried from Tomatin have been good. Um, there's a wee bit I'd like to run through about Tomatin itself, and a wee correction uh, to yourself, but that's fine, because usually I would leave you to the history, which you're very good at, and a lot of people, including me, the favourite part of uh, the podcast. But you touched on the number of stills there, and I firmly believe that is my sector of the podcast, and... You got it wrong. So just you wait. Okay. So okay. we'll talk about a bit about the equipment. So currently they're operating a nine-ton stainless steel full outer mash ton. Good. Uh, 12 stainless steel washbacks, each with a 42,500 litre uh, capacity. Not wooden Not washbacks, but um, 12 of them. That's a, I mean, that's quite a lot. Um, 54 to 110 hour fermentations. That big gap. Uh, I don't know, over the weekend. It might not work the weekends, basically. They've got six pairs of stills currently. That's 12 stills. But only yeah. My last source told me, my source as in the internet and books that I was reading, only four uh, spirit stills were in use, which makes sense because when you put something, when you put the wash through the wash still, you end up with less liquid. So they maybe condense a couple of wash distillations and then put that through one spirit still. Makes a lot of sense, uh, especially in today's age of uh, conserving energy uh, and also time consuming. So yeah, uh, so they produce around 2 million litres a year, uh, as far as I can see. And uh, after they produce their 2 million, it's put in one, they're well, filled into cast, obviously, and uh, the casts are stowed away in one of 14 warehouses, which is very impressive. 14 warehouses. Must be a massive site. Yeah, have actually... you got the, the rack to, I don't know, Dunnage or... No, I don't, but they do have Dunnage Warehouse because part of the research for this, I do do a bit of reading and I do... YouTube's a great place for getting to see inside the distilleries that you've you've never quite seen inside. So, But they do have Dunnage Warehouses. Uh, how many? I'm not sure. Could just be the one that I've seen, but I mm. presume this distillery's been around for a while, so I presume they have a mixture of racked and dunnage. Now, where I will pick you up on is this distillery was one of um, Scotland's biggest producers at the time. As you mentioned, it went into a lot of blends and it went into GB, it went into Chivas, it went into Johnny Walker. Um, they had about they had about a, a production of it was like 12 and a half million litres. I think this was yeah. in the early 1970s. At that point, they were, they were running 23 stills, 12 mm. wash and 11 spirit. Uh, and yeah, just to produce this monumental amount, as you say, they did go into these blends. Now they have antiquity, but now obviously it's focused on single malt, which we're saying is we've had a good few tomatoes over the years and it's been, it's been great. The distillery itself is uh, based 
16 miles south of Inverness, just off the A9. Um, mm-hmm. Have you have you seen the distillery? Yeah, I um, took a road trip up to Orkney one time and I popped into Tamar and it was sort of, it was the late summer this year, so sort of tours tours went operating, but I thought I'm driving past Tamar how many times do I drive past Tamar So I thought I'd pop in and it's, I mean, it's, it's a nice looking distillery. You go under a little sort of rail bridge or road. It's quite factory-like though. It's big. It, it is big. It's a big site, but it's a nice setting. It's, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so as I was saying, 16 miles south of Inverness, just off the A9. I have, uh, maybe the last year or the year before, but with these, um, the COVID years that we're currently living through, it's kind of hard to decipher between like years I'm you, finding. Like, I can't remember uh, what was last year and what was the year before but anyway last year the year before me and a pal went up and we did a bit of uh hill climbing maroon climbing in the Cairngorms and and such and we went into Inverness and Loch Ness and you know just all those kind of things you're doing when you're having yeah. a staycation and basically we stayed a few miles up the road from Tomatin in a small place uh, it was just a house and then off the back of the house is where we were staying uh, and it was between a place called Moy and a place called Davia, I think. So mm-hmm. if anybody knows where that is, then great. I can't, can't quite remember the name of the place. Uh, but we stayed there. We drove, it definitely was during COVID because we drove up to, to Martin Gates, closed, obviously, looked at it, thought, wow, that's a massive site. And then mm-hmm. we left. And that was that was kind of the last time I really thought about the distillery until I uh, started researching it. But what I've seen about this distillery is, and kind of what I've what I've learned about it is, in 2013, Tomatin became Scotland's first distillery to install uh, a new biomass boiler uh, running mm-hmm. on wood chip. Yep. Uh, so this is that's kind of around seven, eight years ahead of just now, obviously. But this 2021 and more recently, this kind of since COP26 or whatever, distilleries have like really, really stepped up. Uh, or at least on the outside, but definitely they have to in, in line with SWA's uh, carbon emissions target by 2030, 2040. Um, but they've been ahead of the game for about, yeah, just about 10 years. I mean, they're burning wood chip, which you think, well, that releases carbon, but as a renewable source because they'll burn wood that, doesn't really take much carbon out of the atmosphere and then they plant new trees and then that removes more carbon than what you burn releases back into the atmosphere. So it is yep. renewable, it isn't perfect, but nothing's going to be perfect and it's definitely a lot better than well, it's a, it's, it's, Yeah, it's a better option. It's a better option than burning yeah. heavy fuel oil, medium fuel oil or even even gas, to be honest. It's, it's better than all. Absolutely. Uh, so, so since 2013, they're removing 4,000 4, tonnes of CO2 a year. Um, they've cut their carbon emissions by eighty percent, and uh, basically, this is a this is equivalent of a thousand two hundred cars off the road each year, which is which is great. You know, great the step ahead of the game. Uh, it seemed like a really kind of eco conscious distillery, and they were one well the first distillery to to put in one of these uh, biomass boilers, which a lot more distilleries have started now. And a lot more distilleries are probably going to move on to. So they'll be looking at to Atten and going, they went to strength from strength to strength with one of these boilers. Cause the biggest like from being in distilleries, there's loads of massive tasks. The boilers are 
always, always mucking up. The boilers are always yeah. playing up. Boilers are always the biggest hassle. They're the Stillman's worst enemy in a distillery. Um, so Tomatin have obviously got it correct. And they are, uh, or were, there's probably distilleries that have got newer biomass boilers that are even more efficient or whatever. But they definitely were the benchmark. Um, oh, they, were, they, were, they were the flagship distillery. They yeah. sort of looked at issues that were probably going to arise to the whiskey industry and, and, the, and there's many to come um, and many and issues with in regards to the environment that should be tackled within the whiskey industry. Tomatin were the, I would say, the one off the top of my head, the first distillery that actually started tackling things and deciding like we're going to do this because it has a, a lesser effect on the environment to what we're doing right now. Um, and well ahead of their time as well. Yeah, great distillery. Now, another thing I was going to put uh, to Matt in is, and it probably makes sense the way I was looking at the site from the bottom gate and thinking this site's massive. Do you know what 80% of the distillery employees live on site? Yeah, I, I, I did know this, but see if you ever go and you get inside the gate and they let you in. That gate is nowhere near the distillery as well. Yeah. Like it's a, it's, I'd say maybe a mile, but it's it's quite a a long road up, and there is a lot of houses, and yeah, there is um. I didn't know, I didn't think maybe as high as eighty percent, but 8%. there is a lot. There's a lot of houses on that road on the way up. Yeah, either either, well, either way, it's eighty percent, so it doesn't matter. But <laughs> I mean, if you if you've got, I mean, if you've got eight out of ten. That's a lot. Or if you've got 80% of 50, which would be, fuck knows, but uh, 80% of 50, what is that? Well, we're absolutely selling ourselves. It'd be 40 out of 50, wouldn't it? It would be 40 people out of 50. Of course it would be. Anyway, so if, you, if there's 50 employees, there's 40 out of those 50. Live on site. But saying that, there's only 30 houses on site, so you potentially only 30 out of... Anyway, I might cut this bit out. So, 80% of the selling points live on site. There's 30 houses on site. Now, this strikes me as, like, bonkers. Like, not bonkers, because a lot of distilleries, when they were built, they were built in remote areas, just like yep. Tomatin. Tomatin's mm -hmm. a 1,000 feet above sea level, obviously, up in the Scottish Highlands. Probably the road would get cut off for four months a year or something yeah. like that or a lot of the time so they built all these houses for their workers and we know this sounds great but back in the day that meant you had total control over the workers i don't know if that was to matt what to matt was like but in the basis of today this distillery is 16 miles from inverness along the a9 there's no reason unless there's a uh, whatever some reason you can't get along the A9 there's no reason to still offer these houses to employ employees apart from you want to give them a good living arrangement potentially it's on the cheap potentially it's built into the wages potentially whatever I don't know but they're still offering these houses to employees and 80% of them live on site I just think that's no, no excuse different. not to go to their work well, I, I, you, you call in second, they're like banging on the door, like, come on, uh, come on. Shows, uh, shows the LFT. Uh, That's what they're asking. Uh, uh, well, LFD. 
lateral flow device test? Well, no, it's an LFT, a lateral flow test. Lateral flow device test. Check Check the Scottish government website. No, because it's folk that go, oh, I've just done an LFT test. It's like when, in school when you, 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 or you, like, you would say the T stands for test. So I've just did a lateral flow test. Lateral flow device test. LFD test. I'm just following government guidelines here. And uh, you seem to be flaunting them. Uh, anyway, back, back to Tamatin. Think, think how many families were brought up on this site. I think I genuinely think this is amazing. I genuinely think this is amazing. 30... Surprised there's not a school on the site. There probably was. Uh, there, there probably was at some point, yeah. There probably was. There's probably a school. That I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a church either on site or very nearby. Uh, there was probably a shop. Uh, probably one of these houses used to be a shop. Um, just, I, you know, I, I, I liked Tomatin, or at least I didn't have any wrong points about Tomatin before uh, doing a bit of research. But yeah, I, I would love to visit Tomatin um, sooner rather than later. Uh, I think, I don't know what the setup is. I don't know if they've got employees by the, I don't know, gunpoints and you have to live in these houses, but presumably they're in a very good state. Presumably it's a very good deal because if you didn't, living them you don't have to you're 16 miles from uh, Inverness which is I think is a you, city you, I've been to Inverness it's relatively big uh, Inverness, also, uh, Inverness is a city yeah it's yeah. Inverness is really nice as well so yeah I, I, I'm really fond of this distillery just for kind of re- reading all about it watching every it's also uh, about the same I think it's about the same distance Maybe a mile or so, a wee bit further away uh, from Aviemore as well. So yeah, if going up, yeah. if you're going up the A9, Aviemore will be on your right hand side. I would advise anyone to never stop in Aviemore. Absolutely hellhole of a place. Don't Strange go there. Strange place, isn't it? Oh Jesus! It's the <laughs> let's not go into it. But the, no, don't stop there. Just carry on to Tamatin. Make sure you've got enough fuel to get to Tamatin, and then you can go into Tamatin fuel pump. Yeah, sure. I don't know if there is one, but I presume there is one. I don't think there is, no. Uh, do you know yeah. what tomato means? No. It means hill of the juniper bush. Oh, I did know that, actually, yeah. Uh, as illicit distillers used to like burning juniper wood as it gave off no smoke. There's a soft, softer side of... Crafty bastards. The burner. <laughs> the softer side of illicit distilling. Yeah. Uh, but that's cool because... Uh, obviously a lot of people associate juniper with gin gin and uh, a lot of juniper for uh, gin production I think comes from Hungary if I can remember correctly Uh, you do get Scottish juniper actually last year or the year before there was some well do you know how like vegetation sometimes just succumbs to like disease there's just this disease that attacks certain trees or certain bushes or or barley or or wine grapes you know what I mean Uh, Mm and there was the last year a couple years ago Scottish juniper was hit pretty hard by uh, some whatever fungal or bacterial infection or something like that Um, and that's all I heard of it I never really checked if it recovered but 
at the time, the kind of the, the expert, the expert on the radio, the expert on the radio was saying that this this won't impact Scottish gin distilling because there's not that many Scottish distilleries, gin distilleries that use Scottish juniper. But there's your wee gin facts anyway. I feel like we could go on to the quick finish of this uh, tomato. Yeah, um, I've actually moved on to a Christmas special dram that I mentioned earlier to you off, off the podcast, but we'll go on to that after, as I, do, I can describe it to you. But you don't have it, and probably no one, no, one, no one that is listening has it. Um, but I've got two, two special Christmas drams that I'm going to recommend to people if they can get a hold of a bottle. But the finish for this tonight... I put, it was quite herby and heather and sort of floral, apricots, toffee apples, and then cinnamon toast, which I don't think I've ever had whatever it is, cinnamon toast. I've never had that. That is just the sort of flavour profile that I sort of, the finished feeling that I got to it. Cinnamon toast is one of those things that, and uh home ec or uh, home economics in school which was like the kind of cooking class uh, they taught you how to pretty much make nothing but like we made the cheesy beans on toast and then we made like cinnamon toast which was a mixture of cinnamon and sugar put mm-hmm. on buttery toast yeah I, I have quite a strong stance on home ec and what they actually should be teaching you as a 15, 16, 17 year old about to go to university or about to go out and live in the world and how to cook on 20 pound meals rather than making Christmas cakes. Fucking cinnamon toast. It's coming handy today, but... uh... (laughs) To be fair, beans on toast with cheese on it is like, it's a solid, solid. Oh yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. No, um, I... Cake, cupcakes for Halloween or Christmas cake. No, I'm a fan of teaching 17 year olds how to make that rather than teach them how to make something better. I don't know. I feel oh. like I feel like actual catering, not in a food sense, but like catering to the more gifted uh, chefs or cooks in the class wasn't a bad idea. Like I thought I thought teaching us how to make beans on toast when pretty much everybody knows how to make toast, and I'm sure you could figure out beans at least after a couple of tries. I thought that was a bit stupid, to be honest. I was like, can you not cook it? Like, can we not make... Imagine they taught you how to make a... I don't know, like a lasagna or a steak. Oh. You know what I mean? Some, you know, no, I'll tell you, in my viewpoint of it is, and that could be... Probably there's wrong, but... I would look at it and go, if you're about to become a student or you're about to, to live by yourself and, and, and make your own meal, here's 20 quid. These are the ingredients you've got. This is how you can make the most out of that and make different nutritional meals that actually do you well and are healthy, but they're cheap as well. Mm. Like, yeah. I learned how to ice a Christmas cake in home ec. They have not done it since. Have I looked in a cupboard and thought, fucking hell, I've got no idea what I'm going to cook for dinner? Yes. Like, I think they should teach you more actual practical skills rather than here's a bunch of flapjacks. Find out how to make flapjacks in your own time. Some people need to learn how to boil an egg. You need to teach them how to boil an egg. 
See, see, when I uh, first went to uni, uh, an undergrad, I was 17, and I was really, really poor, but I also wanted to go out all the time. So yeah. what you've got to do is go out all the time and make your other expenses become next to school. So yeah. I can't remember if it was Farm Foods or Iceland, but it was one of these shops, right? And I went and I was like, right, what's the cheapest meat I can get? And you could get like these massive bags of square sausage. And for people who aren't from Scotland, never been to Scotland, square sausage is a kind of uniquely Scottish sausage that isn't in a sausage shape. It's square. Doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> that's just how it is. Google it, it's a square sausage. I used to buy like, I'm on about like massive bags of square sausages for like a pound 20. I'm talking about 30 square sausages. And I used to put this in curries. I used to put this in pastas. I used to basically just have like square sausage, anything. That was my meat. And because pasta was quite cheap and because curry sauce and rice was obviously quite cheap, like you can just buy yeah. a jar of curry sauce. That's what I just loved off. And, and then like for any seasoning, I would go down to the uni canteen and steal like, uh, well, not steal because it wasn't like a massive operation, but I would just like put salt and pepper and sauces in my it's pocket. Not, it's, it's not stealing because you already pay for it. You well, the Scottish take, government you, pays for it. Well, you, well, were, you were just taking what was yours. Aye, but just like, like the, you know the sadness in you when you're eating a square sausage buna? <laughs> Square sausage, <laughs> like, but you know, you're going out to a student night and you've got like 15 pounds in your pocket, and that's getting you like everything you need, and you're getting steaming and you're getting a bus ride home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Great times. Also, good thing about being a student was that when you got hungry, you could go to sleep. What did you have for lunch? Well, I went for a nap. That was that was all, or just watch like Breaking Bad nonstop. I tell you, the we were speaking about student and eatings, um, used to open tins of tuna when I was a, a meat eater, and I'd open tins of tuna and uh, put mayonnaise in and just have tuna meal. That was in the in the in the tin. First of all, you didn't have to do any washing up; you only had the fork, um, and. Even that tuna. one, that just went straight in, anyway. <laughs> it was plastic, fuck it, get it out. Uh, so tuna meal. And then, um, what was it? A tin of beans, digestive biscuits, crumbled up in the beans and cheese. That was that was probably an all-time low. But I tell you, it was, the digestive biscuits just gave the beans a little bit of different texture that did the job. Yeah, my mate used to dunk custard creams in lentil soup. That was that was a weird one. Don't know why. That's that's not even that poor. <laughs> like that's just that's just weird. <laughs> okay, they can afford the lentil soup and the custard uh, creams. <laughs> and another another pal used to come through to the living room with the pot, obviously because you don't want to wash your plates. So you're just eating out the pot that you've cooked in. So it was a pot of pasta with only salt and butter. And just eat away at it. And we'd be like, that's not right. Like, surely, like, a, a pasta sauce costs, like, see the cheap pasta sauce? Like, oh. well, less, than, less than a pound. You can use, like, a half jar for it, for if you're really that bad. He, but the thing about him, he never said, like, oh, yeah, I know it's rubbish, but I'm just skin. He just used to point blank tell you that it was great. No, this is good. And we'd be like, it can't be good. And he'd be like, no, this is great. 
And we're like, what? And he'd be like, I just love this, just salt and butter. Like, well, if it was that good, why have we got pasta sauces? Why why are uh, we not just eating pasta? No sauce, but... Um, tell you this right now, and we can move on after this statement if you want. Um, salt and pepper do not count as seasoning. I'll just say that now, and we can move on. Why? No, surely that's... Just, 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 it's a staple. That's a staple in your dish. It does that not is, count, is it? Salt and pepper is seasoned. That's... I know. But it's not seasoning, is it, really? It's not. Ugh, no. I don't want to get into the definition of seasoning. Right, okay, right, let's move yeah. on. Did, did you do the finish? Did you tell your finish? Yes, I did. I told my finish first. Did I tell my finish? Yes, you did, I think. I don't know if I did. I, th- I, I think it's... I don't have much because... I think you said quite a lot of things I was going to say, but I think it's a medium-long finish. I think you're getting lovely barley sugars and a lot of nuttiness, to be honest. I think overall, yeah, fine dram. Um, what have we got to do next? Do you want to do Malt Busters, the Christmas edition of Malt Busters? Yes, let's do the Malt Busters. And I'll just tell you very quickly about the I moved on from my dram. Oh, I'm trying do. something else. Um, I am now drinking quite a special drink. Maybe the quality of this drink is probably difficult to find in the UK. Uh, but I'm drinking a Tokai soju or a Toki soju. I picked up on a recent adventure to Korea. Um, it's soju, which is the national drink of Korea. Um, more shots of soju are consumed in Korea than any other shot in the rest of the world even when you think of the Russians in vodka or Italians in grappa or Scotland in Jaeger bombs, there is more soju in the world consumed. Than so this, this isn't added together, is it? Like all the rest of the shots in the world added together? No, 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 no. This K- is just... K- K- Korea is a country consume the most shots. shots. And it is of compared soju. To, compared to, to any other country. Aye, any aye. other country, any other spirit. This soju in particular has been matured in virgin oak casks and is particularly lovely. Um, it actually was started by a sort of Korean-American who started a soju distillery in Brooklyn, and then he moved back to Seoul and started making soju in Seoul. So it's a, it's more a, a sipping soju rather than a, a, a shorting soju. But um, that's what I'm trying, is a, a special Christmas dram. Yeah. A bit like when you have a brandy at Christmas, it's just something... Bit different, yes, it? yes, and my drinking habits have not changed. Your drinking habits have not changed. Bah, I'm gonna <laughs> have so much brandy at Christmas, I forgot to mention yeah. that. Yes, so um, malt busters. Well, yeah, well, before that, favorite Christmas song, um, Bruce Springsteen's cover of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Are you uh, that's what I was going to say? You'd think like, we were, you'd think we were brought up in the same household. That's just it's also, everything, everything great about Bruce Springsteen and. Yeah, that makes it a good, well, really a good song anyway. I, I like the other one I like is, is a female singer and it's a bit different. It's like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Boom, 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 uh, boom. Yeah, I, I know the song. Is that, the, no, that, I, names Escape Me. Yeah. That one. Uh, yeah. That's also a good one. Um, right, on to Malt Busters then. Ooh, Malt Busters. Um, obviously, the Lazy Scotsman, shout out to him on Instagram. He won last week. Uh, but 
obviously this week, if you've listened to earlier on the podcast, I'm sure you've got a good idea of what uh, the game is about. I give you a cryptic clue. This podcast it is Christmas themed. Ho, ho, ho. Yes. Ooh. It's got to be uh, Christmas themed, obviously, because we're coming up to Christmas. I'm feeling quite festive, to be honest. And this is Friday the 17th. Next Friday will be Christmas Eve. The podcast will be released by then. Uh, but once again, just get your answers into Instagram. And basically, the first person to get them all kept uh, will be the winner. If you're only listening to this a few days after, a week after, still send still send your answers in because the person, I'm not giving out the answers when somebody sent them in. You know what I mean? Somebody will send me in three answers. I'll just say, all right, thank you. So they might have sent, in, they might have sent in the wrong answers. So even say three weeks down the line after release date, still send your answers in because you might be the first that got them right because they are cryptic and uh, they are Christmas themed. Um, and because this is Christmas themed, I must admit it's a bit harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't just be as random and either fit in some Christmas uh, themes, obviously. Uh, but just to bear in mind, one of these distilleries or more might uh, be a closed distillery, a famous closed distillery. Ooh. It's not going to be uh, that one that we spoke about. At uh, the Grange Distillery, mind that when we spoke about the Grange, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. haven't heard of it before. Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. not going to be that. It's not going to be that. It's going to be a famous closed distillery. Okay. okay. So, number one, and remember, correct answers. Well, any answers they don't have to be correct. They could be a guess uh, to our Instagram page, which is at Cat Strength Pod. Uh, better just keep it to that because. Ronan, I gave out Ronan's number last week and folk kept phoning him, which is quite funny. But, right, so, number one. If you've been naughty, you might find this in your stocking. And the Queen of the Hebrides. So, if you've been naughty, you might find this in your stocking and the Queen of the Hebrides. Mm-hmm. You got that? Mm-hmm. I think I do. I think that's straightforward. Yeah. Number two, we bring tidings for one of these people to their wooden structure found on a farm. We bring tidings for one of these people to the wooden structure found on a farm. And number three, Santa's Christian name and one of the birthday boy's female disciples. So that was Santa's Christian name and one of the birthday boy's female disciples. Did you get that one? Yeah, I've got that one. Um, I feel if Ronan's got them, then they weren't as cryptic as last week. Uh, or last podcast, sorry. Uh, but yeah, if you get them, send them in. And uh, the winner wins... A shout out on the podcast because that's all we can offer. And if we ever get big, we'll remember you. Unless they actually would like to come on. But I don't know. If, if somebody would like to come on and they've got like some, I mean, the bar's pretty, pretty fucking low, isn't it? To right. get on this podcast was too. So, I mean, if you want to come on and you've got a wee bit of a story or you've got any type of 
Yeah, if you've got, if you've got, if is it was it the lazy Scotsman? It was the lazy Scotsman on Instagram. If, if he wants if to come he, on and he wants to speak about whiskey, if he's got a really interesting dram that he thinks you're like, this is a cracker that I'd love to tell people about that maybe isn't as um, popular or whatever, then by all means, get in touch. We'll get you on. If he, if the lazy Scotsman can pronounce words or in fact form sentences properly, he's already doing better than us, and he can come on. Yeah, I'm behind that. I'm all for that. No problem. On to the yeah. Scots Whiskey League. On to the Scots Whiskey League. I've got it here. So, the Scotch Whiskey League, as it stands, we have the number one, Longer Red, 12-year-old. Been there for a while. The number two, McNean. Number three, the Glen Scotia, 14-year-old, Tony Ports, the Open Festival edition. Yeah. Number four is the Springbank Local Barley. Sherry Cask. Number five, in from the last Cash Death Whiskey podcast, the Glen Farkless 15. It's in there at number five. Number six, the Springbank Local Barley Bourbon Cask. Number seven, the Kleinleash 14-year-old. Number eight, Anok 18-year-old. Number nine, the Ben Nevis 10-year-old. And number 10, the Glen Kinchy 12-year-old. So... That's the Scotch Whiskey League, and we are now going to put in the Tomatin 2008 12-year-old River Saltes cask. River edition. River Saltes. French, French wine, French presumably dessert, French sweet wine, uh, barriques, uh, mature tomato. Yeah. Yes. Um, so where do we think that's going? Do you think it makes the top 10? Uh, I actually think it just just makes the top ten. Mm. You know? Do you not think it? Do you not think it does? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, I would. I would. I mean, just what does that mean? Is it in ninth? Is it in tenth? I don't know. I, I, personally, I would say it is above the Ben Nevis, so uh, just below the Anok eighteen. Actually, see, see, last night, see when I was having a dram last night, I said to myself, "Oh, I wish I had another one of those Anok 18s. You know, oh, really? Yeah, I, mean, I did. I said I wish I had another one just to try because I, I I quite enjoyed it. Um, so I, I I don't think it's as good as Anok eighteen. I think it's better than the Ben Nevis, and yeah, it's probably better than the Glenkinchy twelve year old. What do you think? Well, I was actually going to put it above the Anok into that. Uh, what would be number eight and push the Glenkinchy out? But um, Glenkinchy's gone. Sorry. Right, uh, that's fair to say. Is or it, or is we it? should we should refer to it as uh, a Scottish Valley. <laughs> wait, wait, wait till I get it. We should refer to it as a Scottish Valley with Frodo's Fellowship and the Argentinian Marxist Revolutionary of Cuba Distillery. Uh, I think it's a fickle about Shea being involved with Glen Kinchy. We might need a rethink on how it's uh, evaluated. Uh, but aye, I think I think the Glenkinchy's gone. I would say the Anox better. I'd say the Anox full of flavour, really easy drinking, um, great distillery. As as good story wise as the Tomatin, probably not. Probably just not as much uh, as interesting and desire. But 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say that Anoka 18 is better than the, the than this. We, uh, Kleinleash 14 is definitely better than this. Look, I actually think, and I've tried the Kleinleash 14 later, uh, later on after we did the podcast. No, one? never do that. It always lets you down. I actually don't think it has. I think I, I look at the Scottish Whiskey you think Kleinleash should be so much more higher up. Uh, Are you questioning the integrity of this league? I'm questioning my integrity. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be fine putting the, the tomato in just behind the Anok. I think I do think it is better than Glen Kinchy and the Ben Nevis and if, if, if you've got strong feelings towards the, the flavour of the Anok, then yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm going in, going in just behind it. Um, but yeah, sometimes I look at the league and think, God, I'd, I'd love to compare them to each other and, and do a playoff sort of system. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what we'd originally spoke about. And, you know, the playoffs don't have to happen in December. Uh, the playoffs can happen at some time. The Scotch Whiskey League, I put, I put a, I think it was in a, actually that Gone Farkless um, episode, I said, like, I questioned the integrity of the league. I said, is this league total BS? And I got a good few messages saying, I just keep it in. It's actually like, it's all right. It's definitely, definitely looking at Nicknean up there. And well, I don't know, because I've not, I'm not trying Nicknean since we tried it that day, but I did, that's when we used to do beer on the podcast. So like, I know we'd, and we, we also used to like sit down before the podcast and like have a couple of beers. So we're already more excited about things than we'd usually be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I tell you, the thing that probably get got us with the name, and I'll be, I, I do think it's a good young whiskey at the same time, is what I'm about to say is that the story got us, and as we've spoke about in this podcast, the environmental aspect of like me and distillery and what they're doing and what they're achieving yeah while making uh, spirit is probably what got us with the mean and you could look in that list and probably say yeah and mean is doing a lot more in that aspect that side of things than all those distilleries that are on there yeah, but so that's isn't probably it... what's got us um and speaking but... so passionately about it um do you think tomatins like tomatins pretty much doing arguably maybe not better is the right word but arguably harder because it's an older distillery it's harder to change things it's harder to justify um, improving things for the uh, environment when it necessarily doesn't improve things economically for your for the bottom line Um, I think we should be looking at doing a, a one versus ten, two versus nine playoff and just seeing who comes out on top. And no, but to was, be honest. We spoke about this before and uh Glen Scotia gone. Uh Ben Nevis gone, Glenkinchy gone. We'd we we'd need to I suppose it's not that it's not that big a deal, but they they have been drunk. They have been enjoyed, which is the main thing. Mm-hmm. If you're, I've still, if you're, I've still got a, I've still got a full bottle of McNeil life sitting in my house. So that says everything. Oof. 
Sorry, Nick Nien. There's going to be either Nien are going to get deducted points from match fiction, like um, like Juventus uh, constantly every five years or whatever. <laughs> so, um, my second special Christmas dram. Um, yep. You don't have any special Christmas drums, do you? No, I was I was thinking maybe going to get a you know quite fancy a wee smoky dram. So I might just go to my dram cupboard and. Get on, and you can speak about that. Well, and I'll... well, you nip off your special smoky drama. I'll, I'll, I'll speak about what I've got. Um, so we started off with a, a Tomatin Highland Scottish whiskey. We moved to South Korea to try a, a soju, cured in uh, virgin oak casks. And now we're moving to Four Roses Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, barrel strength to 58.9%. From warehouse number PN, if anyone is interested, and barrel number 313H. This is actually a, 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 I actually don't know how I acquired this, but well, I do know how I acquired it. I'm just not going to go into it. It was a 911 Patriot, never forget, it selected September the 11th, 2020 bottling of the single barrel and um, four roses. I always think four roses is an absolutely lovely. Lovely um, Kentucky straight bourbon. Um, if anyone is ever interested in trying any bourbon, um, trying Four Roses is a great place to start. So, Torin, what have you pulled out of the cupboard for a, a special? Oh, I went to my dram cupboard there. Do you know what stared back at me? Dow you in 16. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, thank you. <laughs> no, you're not ruining my Christmas. Uh, <laughs> behind that was uh, Ardbeg Wee Beastie and I thought well yeah I might as well just go for that it's one we've um, it's one we've reviewed on the podcast before isn't it but mm-hmm. actually I can remember taking photos of the Ardbeg Wee Beastie in, uh, in around Kelvin Grove Park when it was snowing so this must have been last Last year, yeah. Yeah, it must have been last February or something like that. And right at the right at the start of the podcast. And it kind of unintentionally, actually, it was it was the start of February. And I was taking photos of it around about Kelvin Grove. I've uh, uh, do you know like people outside Glasgow who have never been or who have never been to Glasgow, Kelvin Grove's got the really kind of steep path some at some points with really icy bits when it snows. I know mm-hmm. I went on my arse a belter, like, and it actually made me realise. And I don't really know how to put this, but like, do you know, like, when you're older and you have a fall and it's a really, it's a really big deal because you're quite old. It made me realise how big a deal it is because I went like skidded mm-hmm. along down a hill. I then went up like a cartoon character, flattened mm-hmm. out in the air. Then I thudded off. <laughs> I thudded off the ground. All while there's like uh, snowboarders, skiers in this part skiing down the hill. There's folk having a great time snowball fight, snowball fight. Yeah, you can you can thudded, tell that's the West End of Glasgow. Yeah, I thudded <laughs> the ground so hard, and I actually for a second, like I lay on the ground. And I went, "Am I all right?" Because I was like, "That is such a thud," and I was I was okay, but it made me be thankful of being. Uh, youthful and not like brittle boned or whatever you get mm-hmm. uh, so I went for an Ardbeg wee beastie <laughs> 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 went for an Ardbeg wee beastie we have reviewed it before it was 
on Scotch Whiskey League. I think it dropped out pretty early, and I think it was mostly because you don't like smoky whiskies. Uh, yeah, pretty much. But I think I described it as quite a timorous wee beastie. Uh, but um, look, I've not had this dram in ages, so I'm actually quite looking forward to it. Uh, it's 47.4%. It's obviously from Ardbeg, and it's their youngest ever. Well, this is, I, this is, this call coming back to me. They they marketed this whiskey as the youngest ever Ardbeg release. So the, the, so they were saying this is the youngest age statement we've ever released. Somehow mm-hmm. that, that worked. So somehow that passed. This is the youngest whiskey we've ever released. It worked. Ardbeg are very good at the marketing. Um, are they part? Are they part of, part of the Diageo giant? They are, aren't they? Uh, are big. They do things a wee bit different, though. They they kind of release funky stuff at Halloween. They released the dozer stuff and all that. I can't remember. They never got any, but um, they're all right. They're kind of one of the good bad guys. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just what I want. They're owned by Louis Vuitton Moe Hennessy. All right, okay, no problem. Probably why they're allowed to be a wee bit, a wee bit different. Oh, yes, same owners as Glenn, Glenn Morangi. So I suppose that falls into what they're trying to do. If you look at Glenn Morangi and their their lighthouse with your pal and Doctor Bill. Doctor Bill, yes. Uh, in, the, in, in the lighthouse at Glenn Morangi, it sort of works in that they sort of release slightly different things. Not, quite, not quite received my invite to uh, see Dr. Bill's operation up at Glen Morangi. I must have got lost in the post. He's declined your invite to appear on the podcast as well, I see. <laughs> I, no, I've not asked him. <laughs> I've not asked him. Uh, no, no. Uh, I've, I've not. I've not asked him. You know, I don't, I don't mix business and pleasure. <laughs> You can decide which one's business and which one's pleasure, but no, me, me and Bill, we're good. We're good friends. He doesn't know that, obviously, but um, we're good pals, and there's a there's a lot of mutual respect there. And he was obviously the brains behind the Ardbeg Alligator, which is just a heavy charred cask. Fantastic, uh, bit of marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic bit of marketing, uh, and also. No, I was going to blame him for one of the worst whiskies I've ever tried, but I think I was actually Glenfiddich, the Glenfiddich IPA cask. Was that Glenfiddich or was that Glenmorangie? Oh, no, well, Glenmorangie might have done one, but definitely Glenfiddich did one. Right, right. Oh, here's, a, here's, a good, here's a good topic then. Uh, the worst whiskey you've ever tried. Oh, uh, worst whiskey I've ever tried. Probably that uh, Glenfiddich, Glenfiddich IPA. It was really, really bad. Uh, no, actually... Tell you, Scapa Skidden. Scapa Skidden. Scapa Skidden, their entry level malt. And I'd, I'd heard about the Scapa 16 being great. and But you couldn't get a bottle. A bit like Lagavulin 16 for a while or Glendronach 15. Everybody was looking for it, but you couldn't get yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And I tried Scapa Skidden and oh, by Christ, I thought that was terrible. terrible. It actually. I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just me and something in that dram flavour-wise just did not get on. But that was uh, terrible. Yeah, what about, what about yourself? What's the worst dram you've ever tried? Oh. Um, the worst dram I ever tried. And it can't be Jura. 
Yeah, see that's the first the first drum I ever tried was a Jura, and I thought it was terrible. And I don't think I've ever drank any. Uh, what would be what by Kai? Whoever Jura my Jura released, um, single malt since. Gosh, the worst the worst drum I ever tried. I asked the question, but. I would put it down to the Jura, and I think it was just a standard non-age statement Jura at the time. Origin or something. But I think that might be 12. Yeah. I think the origin might be 10 or 12. I don't know. But, but I, would, I would have been like 18, 19 at the time. Nah, I'm um, talking about like as a whiskey drinker, like what's the worst drama you've ever tried? Because like, 18, 19, maybe you aren't a whiskey drinker, so you're like a lot of whiskies are maybe going to taste a bit rubbish. I thought about as a as a maybe not season, but as a reasonably clued on drinker, what's the worst you've ever tried? You asked me the question. I'm just returning the question. I'm needing to define it. No, I know, no, I know. And I, like off the top, of my, you you would need to come back to me. Give give me a minute, and I'll think about it. Okay. Next question I'm going to ask. Since it's the end of the year, and this is totally unplanned, uh, drama of the year. Hmm. Drama of the year. Have you got other questions after this, like surprising drama or anything like that? No, I, do, I don't have any questions. This was yeah. just because it's the end of the year. Yeah. Oh, I can actually tell you the worst drama of the year. Your worst? Uh, my, my worst, the, the worst drama I've ever tried. Okay, the worst drama you've ever tried. And this will be maybe quite controversial seeing how they're doing very good marketing at the time. But my partner got sent an Isla Rassi sample pack, and it was like three different cast types, both unpeated and peated spirit. It was in them, so there was six samples. And uh, I think it was the... Actually, I didn't think, I, <laughs> I didn't think any of them were good, but the, the chinkapin... The sort of native, native American oak, um, Rassi cask was particularly terrible. <laughs> um, to be honest, um, yeah, that was probably the that's worst drama. So that's your worst drama of the year. Have you got a no? That, that that's just the worst whiskey I've ever tried. Oh, that's uh, the worst whiskey <laughs> I've ever tried. Right? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. They were, they were um, Rassi have just set up their stall as well. You're saying they're the worst whiskey you've ever tried. Wow. Um, have you got a, have you got a best whiskey of the year? I think since since it's the end of the year, it, this wasn't planned. It wasn't meant to be a New Year's special. Yeah. Uh, like, just... um, I think there's two whiskies. One is probably quite surprising, and if, if anyone knows me, the second is is probably expected. The first surprising whiskey um, would be Spearhead, which is a right. single gra- a single grain whiskey. Um, produced by Loch Lomond Distillery that I've tried that I've drank a bottle of it is actually really pretty good, it's just easy to drink, full of bananas full of flavour grapefruit and um, sort of cherries and everything it's really easy, really good to drink um, it's a single grain or a grain whiskey um, made by Loch Lomond, it's particularly very nice um, the second 
drum of the year would be uh, Kilkerran 16, which I just think um, is probably one of the best drums out there. But uh, yeah, bourbon casks, fully, well, majority fully bourbon cask, um, Kilkerran 16, just absolutely brilliant. Got a little bit of camp, little bit of Camelton funk, but it's right. right. I asked you for your drama of the year, and you gave me two drums. I'm wondering what what's what's. what's I'll go to Kilkenny in sixteen. Come on, yeah, got to absolutely. yeah, absolutely, Kilkenny in sixteen. Yeah, okay. And the worst drama of the year? Do you have one, or you've already gave your worst? I, I gave my worst. I, okay. I try. I tried that this year, so therefore. But I'm, I'm going to give you my best and worst. Drama of the year. But I'm going to switch the question around a bit like Craig Beatty on, uh, you know, the old punditry. He loves to turn everything around. But uh, I'm maybe not going to give you the best dram I had of the year, but I'm going to give you the best dram experience, the best feeling I had when I was drinking whiskey and the whiskey was involved. And obviously that is... It can be 80% of the drama itself. It can be the place, it can be the people, it can be the time, it can be the specific type of boat you're on. And it's funny you ask, yes, I was on a boat when this happened. We were on a fishing trip, and we spoke about this in the podcast before, we were on a fishing trip, me, mm-hmm. and, my two, me and my two best pals, and uh, we're coming into Port Ellen. It had been raining a bit, but the sun was breaking through the clouds, we were looking, we were just finished a fishing trip. We were looking at the Port Ellen, the famous Port Ellen whitewash walls with the black right in Port Ellen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the skipper and the second skipper, don't know why there was two, but there was. Um, one was the driver, one was the patter. And uh, <laughs> the patter the skipper turned around and went, he's fancy a dram, lads. And in my head, I went, why didn't we you offer it when we were like at sea for two hours? But anyway, that's, said, that's, such, that's such a power skipper thing to do as well. Uh, well, to be fair, to be fair, I also thought, oh, they just whipped this out at the end for the tips. They must do. Uh, uh, but they were pouring hoose drums, Hugman A drums were getting poured. Like, I'd, like, oh, like honestly, honestly, massive drums. And in my head, four, in four my head, I was bumps. like, I bet it's going to be Jura. I bet it's going to be Jura. I bet it's going to be Jura. Get the drams massive. I'm like, Jesus Christ, those drams are massive. And then it's like, what, what, what whiskey is it? Jura. I'm like, oh, right. And <laughs> anybody that's listened to the podcast throughout the whole since February would know that jokingly, if not seriously, Jura's not my cup of tea. But honestly, seeing that setting, that was one of the favourite drams really? I've had. Uh-huh. Years and years and years and years, and we f- I finished the dunter, uh, the pattern captain's dunter, and um, <laughs> and he said, "Do you want another?" And I went, "Well, all right, all right." Gave us another massive three. So now, even if we like, what tip do we have to give him? Because we must have done like, that's a, like genuinely these six drams would have been over half a bottle. They're massive drams, like massive, yeah. massive drams. And I'm pretty sure we got a third, so we must have done about a full bottle. And we gave him, obviously, gave him a decent tip, but I don't know. I stepped off that boat. Obviously, now I was uh, generally half cut, if not on the way to <laughs> being a bit tipsy. 
Drink but, half a bottle of Jura. But really, genuinely, um, one of the best drums I've had in years, just because of the setting. Mm-hmm. And because we'd been out, we'd been out the night before, and you know it's ten o'clock in the morning, I wasn't feeling incredibly uh, keen to drink whiskey. But the Jura is at forty percent. It's designed to be really easy drinking, and it just went really, really down. It just went down great, and reluctantly, my whiskey of the year is Jura. I think it was ten. I think it was the origin, uh, and good luck to you. Uh, Totally separately to that, worst whiskey of the year. Tried it a few weeks later, Jura 10, worst whiskey of the year. <laughs> you're best and worst. Best and worst, and that's all you're getting from me, Jura, and that's the best you'll get. <laughs> we'll see, see you again next year. We'll see you again next year when you win the worst whiskey of the year again. Um, so, I don't know, when you're, you're, you're speaking about there, about your... Um, uh, favourite experiences uh, with whiskey. It sort of reminds me of a time, actually. Uh, I might have told this story before, that me, um, I was in Switzerland for some reason. Well, not going to that, but I was in Switzerland, running away. And uh, me, uh, there were, uh, again, a, a good friend, the same good friend from Tomatin as I previously discussed, and a good friend from Aden, um, a, a distillery that was previously mentioned in this uh, in this podcast. We went up um, the hill or the mountain in Lucerne in Switzerland. We took the cable car ride up. Of course. I had a, I had a pair of shorts on. Uh, is any good? Scotsman would in a cold environment. Um, I was going closer to the sun, so therefore it would be warmer. So I had a pair of shorts on. Swiss people were looking at me as if I was absolutely fucking mental. Your legs got hair for a reason. Ah, exactly. That's what I would say. If you were we meant to say, wear, if you were meant to wear trousers, it wouldn't have hair. Can't see any flaw in that re- logic. Um, so we got to the top. So I sort of climbed the Alps because I was at the top of an Alp, I guess. That's right, kind of Alp. And uh, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. Well, I was at the top. You of got an a Alp. cable car to the top of a hill that looked onto the Alps. No, no, this hill is in the Alps, so therefore I was at the top of an Alp. So I walked up a fair few flights of stairs as well. So I'm at the top of an Alp. So you're you're on about like if you went to Fort William and you climbed up a minor hill, you're you're now claiming you'd you'd climb to the top of Ben Nevis. No, because Ben Nevis is one peak. I'm just, the Alps is many peaks. All I'm saying is I claim to the top of an Alp. Singular. I mean, oh, right, okay, go on. But, right. So, ben there, ben there, Nevis, there. But Fort William isn't just at sea level, though. You've got to claim, you've got, you've obviously, there'll be many peaks. So, look, ah, just carry on. Right, so I'm at the top of the Alps, right? I've got to the top of the Alps. You've got to the short. top of an Alp. Right, so I'm at the top of an Alp, pair of shorts on. T-shirt as well, like not kidding the world, just you know, living my best life. And um, my good friend Andy from Aden pulls out a bottle of Aden, and we share a bottle of the top of the Alps. So was it down his um, shorts? Was it? Well, could have been, could have been. All the Swiss were looking at me. All the French were jealous, and um, yeah, it was fine. It was a great whiskey experience. The top of the Alps, lovely dram, 
and just an enjoyable moment with good friends as well. Um, probably my best whiskey experience. Um, didn't happen this year, obviously. Old COVID getting in the way, but it was it. It was a, my, probably my best whiskey experience. That sounds at the top at the top of the Alps. Um, Please stop saying it's the top of the Alps. Or the up, top of the top of an Alp. I will accept Upper Mountain in Switzerland. But I'm not accepting the top of the Alps. Well, not the top of the Alps. Yeah, I'll accept that. Like it was in Lucerne. If anyone can look at it in Google Maps. Lovely lake in Lake Lucerne. Absolutely picturesque. Um, but an, an Alp in Lucerne. You were on top. Oh, I was in the I was on top of it. Like, we stopped halfway. We had a beer at the pub. It's halfway up. No. It's not a real hill if it's got a pub halfway. Nah, and we knocked the snow off our old snow boots and then we carried on the rest of the way. It was absolutely it was brilliant. Yeah. Snow boots, shorts. I had trainers on. Oh, uh, it was they, really they, easy, are, they are your snow boots, I guess. See when these when these celebrities go and they say oh, I'm climbing climbing Kilimanjaro and stuff like that. I'm doing it for charity. Like yeah. I've been at the I've been at the top of the Alps. It was really quite easy. Like you get in the car, it takes you up the hill. Aye. Piece of piece of piss. Don't and know what don't know what Reggie Yates and all that are fucking on about. We could do it any time. No, no, I um right. Uh <laughs> Okay, no, I think uh, we've got the point in that story. We'll agree to disagree on that. We we run through the Whiskey League uh, from the current Whiskey League. Now we've added into Matt and so off top, of course, it's probably not going to move. Long Roll Red, 12-year-old. If you've got any suggestions that can move it, give us a shout. Uh, Nick Mee in second. Third, Glitzgoe Show, Tony Port. Fourth, Springbank, local barley, Sherry Cask. Fifth, Glenfartless, 15. Sixth, Springbank, local barley, Bourbon cast this time. Seventh, mm-hmm. Clyde Leash, 14-year-old. Eighth is Anok, 18-year-old. Ninth is the one we've tried today. It's the Tomatin uh, 2008, 12-year-old uh, French connection. No, French collection. Uh, River Salts or whatever. Um, Bariques, French wine, Bariques, sweet wine. And then it will be, uh, that's the ninth place. And then 10th, it will be the Ben Nevis, 10-year-old. I'm actually quite sad, uh, sad to see the Glenkinchy drop off, especially because the Glenkinchy had such a great story, although it was kind of mm. manufactured about the battle uh, of Preston Pans, to be honest. It was, a, it was a slight stretch, that podcast, but it seemed like... Um, a good thing to speak about. We didn't we didn't go through whiskey words this podcast. Yep, it was my game. I came up with it. I thought it was a bit rubbish, so I decided not to bring it in. I'm all right to tell myself it was rubbish. That's fine. Um, it probably needs a bit of work. Maltbusters, on the other hand, I'll just run through the. That's a winner. That is a winner. We know it's a winner. I'll just run through the cryptic clues. Number one, I'm not going to run through them a lot. I'm just going to give you a wee refresher. Uh, number one, if you've been naughty, you might find this in your stocking and the Queen of the Hebrides. Number two, we bring tidings for one of these people to their wooden structure found on a farm. And number three, Santa's Christian name 
and one of the birthday boy's female disciples. Uh, and unless I'm mistaken, that marks the end of the Christmas special. Uh, and also the last podcast of the year. I suppose one thing or a couple of things I would like to say would be thanks to everybody that's listened over the last year. This was an idea that was formed in February 2019. Uh, we recorded our first podcast in February. Mm. I, I've now realised if I want to do something, I usually take about a year to figure it out and do it, which mm. also gives me enough time to tell myself whether it's a good idea or not. Maybe I needed longer on this one, but uh, the listen, the listeners have been engaging. The numbers we've got have been great. We're not trying to pander to any distilleries. We're not trying to fool anybody. We're just two guys that like whiskey, and we're sitting here speaking about whiskey, and hopefully giving you a wee bit of history and hopefully make you laugh at least once the podcast and that's it. And now with Malt Busters, we're going to rule the whiskey world, probably. I've been checking my email every day, Diageo. Maybe they've been sending me an email. Even if they did, they'd be, they'll be told where to go. Them and Jura can uh, take a run and jump in 2022. All the best for Christmas. And all the best for 2022. I don't want to sound like a government uh, guideline, but keep safe, keep your family safe, and uh, yeah, all the best. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you for uh, for listening in. Ho, ho, ho. Ooh, malt busters. <laughs>